we began our, our series a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about what happens the moment that you die. And then uh, last Sunday, uh, we talked about hell. And so I want to give you just a, a four-point summary of, of what we covered so that we're all on the, on the same ground as we begin to talk about this subject of heaven. The first thing that we need to fully understand is that everyone will live forever. So uh, there, there is no what we would call soul extinction or annihilation. It doesn't mean that you're one and done. It does mean that when you finish with this life, you will then step into eternity and you will live for eternity. Number two is you have two options of destinations. It will either be in the presence of God in heaven or in the torment of hell. And uh, those options, that's the only two options that we have. Number three is this, is that your arrival is immediate. And that means that as soon as you die, you step into eternity. Uh, Jesus told a thief on the cross as Jesus was dying, when the thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, which is one of the words for heaven. And so it was immediate. The apostle Paul talked about that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, immediate. There was a story that we talked about that Jesus shared in Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus and how that, that Lazarus uh, had died and he went directly into the presence of called Abraham, the father of, uh, of, of Israel, which was another word for heaven, where that when the rich man, one who lived a godless life, that when he died, he immediately went into, at that time, what was called Hades. And so it is, your arrival is immediate. But number four is, is that your destination is your choice. Your destination is your choice. And so knowing that all these things that we talk about today, it is your choice. You get to choose which destination that, uh, that you want to go to. And the reason it's your choice is because Jesus Christ has paid a penalty for your sins and that all of us are sinners. All of us have done things wrong that have separated us from a holy God. And all of us deserve to die and to spend eternity in hell, separated from God. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth a sinless, perfect life. And then he went to a cross. And when he went to this cross, as this sacrifice, he took all the sins of the world on him, which included your sins and your sins and my sins, and he died for us. He paid that penalty. But then three days later, he was raised from the dead, which meant that he was greater than the sin he died for and greater than death. He conquered all of those and provided us a pathway or a bridge to heaven. And it is our choice. Either we accept that gift or we reject that gift. We can either live life on our own and say, I have nothing to do with God or with Jesus. Or we can say, I want to receive that gift of salvation. And I want to latch my life on to with Jesus and become a child of God. In both of those instances, you will live life on earth. But then there will come a day when you will breathe your last breath here and you will step into eternity. And you'll either step into a godless eternity or you'll step into eternity spending your time with God forever in what is called heaven. And so today, that's what we want to talk to you about. So I'm going to give you some terms just so we're all on the, on the same page. If you go through the Bible, the Bible talks about three different heavens. 
okay? And these are very easy for us to put in our mind because it's language that we use uh, today. The very first thing, the very first heaven it talks about is our immediate atmosphere, the domain of the clouds and the birds. And so when they say, hey, I'm looking up into the heavens, you know, I'm looking at the clouds, I'm looking at the birds, it's the atmosphere. The second level of heaven is what is called outer space, the sun, the moon, the planets. You get outside our atmosphere and you begin to look out over the rest of the universe. That would be a second heaven. But the Bible talks about something called a third heaven. And the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. It is his central dwelling place. It's the location of his throne from which he rules the universe. And it is here where he reveals more fully his glory, where angels and other heavenly creatures and redeemed saints, they all worship him. It's his dwelling place. It's called the third heaven. The reason it's called the third heaven is because of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul is talking about a vision that he had 14 years ago. And look what he says. I know a man in Christ. Now, he's talking about himself, but out of humility, he don't want to say, hey, I'm the man. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was called up into paradise. Another word for heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He says, I don't know if I was up there bodily or just in spirit. It was this vision, I just, don't, I just don't know. But I was caught up into the third heaven. So understand that when we talk about heaven, there's the atmospheric, there's the outer space, and then there's the third heaven. That's what we will talk about today. And that is that when a person dies, when they go to the third heaven. Well, just when you thought you had it all understanding with those three heavens, I want to introduce you to heavens. Are you ready? <laughs> Stay with me over here. In God's dwelling place, heaven, there are in Scripture two heavens. One is called the present heaven. Some people will call it an intermediate. And then there is the new heaven. Okay? And we're going to talk about this and let you understand. Today's message, we will talk about the present heaven. Next week, we will talk about the new heaven that will last into eternity. You say, well, where do you get that from? Let me give you a timeline, and I think this will hopefully make it easier for you to understand. This is what happens on a timeline. We're living, and as soon as we live, then there comes a time where there is death. And so death takes place. And as soon as death takes place, we then move, if you're a believer, into what is called the present heaven. The Bible's called it paradise. It's called it uh, a far country. There's different names for it, but it is the presence of where God dwells. You go immediately into God's presence. You are in the present heaven. And you will be in that present heaven until the second coming. Now, when the second coming of Jesus comes, when he comes, something exciting will happen. And that is that we will receive resurrected bodies. So in heaven, we will talk about this, about, well, what do I look like in heaven? We'll talk a little bit about that. But the Bible keeps talking about that we will get a resurrected body. When you die, your earthly body stays here on earth. Your soul, your spirit goes up to heaven. But yet there's this longing that we have to be connected with our body. We were created as physical creatures with a uh, physical body and a soul and a spirit. And there's this desire to be connected. 
when Jesus comes back the second time, it says that our dead body will be raised up and we will receive this new resurrected body. And we're going to talk about next week exactly what it looks like. I've got some pictures for you. I know you'll really want to, you'll be excited about that. So um, some of you may be disappointed in what we set apart for you, but I, I think the rest of you will be really happy. So um, you get this resurrected body. Okay, we get the resurrected body. Well, when Jesus comes back for the second time, then there's the Armageddon battle. After the Armageddon battle, then all of a sudden you've got the millennium. Now, the millennium is Christ's reign on earth for a thousand years. Now, there's different, some believe that there, this is really a literal thousand years. Some believe something different. That's a whole nother sermon. We're not going to mess with it. Let's just put it down, okay? So at the end of the millennium, then comes the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is where God takes those who've been cast into Hades, brings them up. And we talked last week that uh, God takes death in Hades and he throws them into the lake of fire for eternity. Then the Bible says... When this is done, then there is a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a present heaven, what's going on right now, but then there's a new heaven and a new earth. Where do you get that? All right. At the end of Revelation 20, great white throne judgment, death in Hades is thrown uh, into the lake of fire, You come to chapter 21, verse 1, and this is what it says. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now all of a sudden there's this new heaven, new earth, which we'll be living in for eternity. Next week we will talk about that. But for this Sunday, I want us to focus on the present heaven. So what has happened if a friend, if a loved one has passed away and they were a believer, they're in the present heaven. Some people call it an intermediate heaven. And, uh, and, and unless Jesus comes back first, when we pass away and as believers, this is where we will go. So what is present heaven? Let me give you a definition. Present heaven is a temporary dwelling place in the presence of God. It's a waiting place until the return of Jesus Christ and our bodily resurrection. So just look at this. The key is you are in the presence of God. So it's not like this is a second-class heaven, not at all. It's just a temporary dwelling place in the presence of God. It's a waiting place until the return of Jesus Christ and our bodily resurrection. You see, God is waiting for that right time to send his son back and to send his son back and then us to have a final judgment. And so when we die, we come into this present heaven, which is our temporary dwelling. So let's break this down. So what is our position in this present heaven? What will we be like when you die here and you step into heaven? What will you be like? There are two opinions and I will share with you both opinions. There's great people on both sides of them. The first one is this is called a disembodied state, a disembodied state. That means you're like a spirit, but without a body. And where they get this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And this is what Paul says, and just listen as we read through this. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body. So when I die, my body stays here, soul, spirit goes to heaven. We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself. And not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new 
clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. All of this that he's talking about, new bodies, old bodies, he's talking about our resurrection body. The resurrection body that we get when Jesus Christ comes back again. And so there's a belief that when you die and you go to present heaven, that it's a disembodied spirit. We, we are spirits, we're in the presence of God, there's a spiritual realm there, but there's no kind of physical body that we have. Then there's the second option, and the second option is this, is that God has an intermediate body for believers. So follow with me. It would mean that when you die and that you come in the presence of God, that he clothes you with an intermediate body, not your resurrection body, not your final body, but some type of intermediate body. And where people get this from is the rationale is twofold. First of all, there are accounts of biblical heavenly dwellers with bodies, okay? There are accounts of biblical heavenly dwellers with bodies. Let me just tell you, Enoch in the Old Testament. There's an Old Testament passage in in Genesis, and it talks about so-and-so lived, then they died. They lived, they died. They lived, they died. They lived, they died. Then they came to Enoch, and it says Enoch lived to be this age, and Enoch walked with God. And then God took him, and he was no more. So Enoch never died. God just took him body and all, body and all, and took him to heaven. Then there was Elijah. Now Elijah, you know, Elijah was there. He was a, he was a famous prophet. And all of a sudden, while he's standing there one day, God sends a chariot of fire with horses, and he comes, and it swoops up Elijah, and a whirlwind takes him up to heaven, body and all. There's two guys up there. Seems like they got bodies. The Mount of Transfiguration. It's a time when Jesus took three of his disciples up on the mountain. And while he was up there, it says there appeared Moses and Elijah. And they had bodies. And they had come from heaven and they were there talking to Jesus about the next steps of how I'm going to the cross and what was going to happen. And so these individuals had bodies. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen... Uh, one of the deacons was preaching God's message and the people didn't like it. And they were stoning him and were killing him. It says that he looked up and God opened up a portal into heaven for him to get a vision of heaven. And when he did, he said he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So you've got Jesus in his body standing there in heaven and he's standing, he's standing on something. And so it says he is standing So it seems that there are those in this heavenly dwelling that have got some kind of body. But second of all, there seems to be some physical substance in heaven, some physical substance. When you read through the book of Revelation, you'll see it talk about horses, musical instruments, hands holding palm branches, crowns, scrolls, martyrs wearing white robes, and voices singing to God. And so if you read through the book of Revelation and you see that there's some material, physical things there... Would it be that much of a stretch to think that what God would do is give you sort of a physical, material type of body? So I'm giving you that because as you read and want to learn more about heaven, there'll be some writers that will go disembodied state. Others will say there could be an intermediate body. Let me just put you at ease right now. It doesn't really matter because when you get there, everything's going to be great. 
but at least this can get you to be thinking as to what it could be like when you're there. So that's our position in heaven. So what will the present heaven be like? Well, let me give you a list here. From what we take from scripture, this is what we believe your present heaven will be like. Number one, we will be fully conscious, no soul sleep. Now that does not mean you'll never sleep in heaven. <laughs> you stick with me over here. If some of you've already gone under, <laughs> come back up. Uh, we will be fully conscious, no soul sleep. This is a passage we're going to look at in a little bit, but it talks about the martyrs of heaven. They're talking to God. Some people uh, believe, and there's some uh, uh, different uh, sects of Christianity, or I don't know what you call them, uh, groups who believe that when you die, you go into this unconscious state until Jesus comes back again, and then he sends you to eternity. Well, Scripture's really strong that that is not true. You see so much interaction up in the heaven. And so we have a consciousness in heaven. When the thief was on the cross, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, hey, you're going to go to sleep for a couple thousand years, then I'll wake you up, and then you can hang out with me. No, today you'll be with me in paradise. So we're going to be fully conscious. So as soon as you take your last breath here, you will be fully conscious in the presence of God. Number two is this. Everything needed for our happiness will be there. Everything needed for our happiness will be there. Randy Alcorn's written a, a, law, a large book on heaven, and he made a statement. He says, we tend to start with earth and reason up toward heaven when instead we should start with heaven and reason down to earth. I want to explain what that means. Heaven gets a bad rap because people think it's just going to be boring and there's no way it could be any cooler than what I'm doing right down here on earth. And so we start with what we know on earth and we try to transfer that to heaven rather than we should really start with heaven, start with our view of God, and then work our way down. When people think that heaven's going to be boring, there is nothing further from the truth. You take some time and think of the purest joy, the thing that gives you the greatest joy, the greatest pleasure, and then you multiply that many times, you might just catch a glimpse of the euphoria of heaven. Look what it says the psalmist said in uh, Psalm 16. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. When I come into your presence, there will be eternal pleasures at your right hand. Our desire for pleasure and experience of joy come directly from God's hand. Listen, folks, remember this. God is the one that created us. He's the one that made our taste buds. He's the one that gave us adrenaline. He gave us sex drives. He gave us the nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains. Our imaginations, our capacity for joy, our exhilaration were made by the very God that we're accusing of being boring. God has an endless reservoir of fascination and creativity. Thus, boredom becomes impossible. Any joy that we have, it is because God has created it within us to feel that. And the one who created that in us and put us in a sinful earth, a, a fallen world, when we get up to heaven with no sin, no fallenness, with the king and author of creativity, the king of fun, we're thinking it's just going to be real boring. No, it's going to be beyond anything you can imagine. 
Now, let me take you back. And for some, introducing something new to you. The first video game that came out was in 1972. It was called Pong. How many of you remember playing Pong? Yeah, look at these. It's, uh, man, that video game came out. I was in college. We thought it was like the coolest thing ever. So what would it look like? Let's just bring back some memories of Pong. See if we can get that up there, David. Can we get That's Pong. We thought it can't get any better than this. 45 years later, we have 3D virtual reality video games where you step into the action and you're right there. Is that not amazing? And we sit there and think that the God of creation, the God of creativity, the God of fascination, that when we get to heaven, it's going to be boring? It's going to be like comparing a 3D virtual game to Pong. It's going to be incredible. Everything needed for our happiness will be there. Number three, there's no sin, there's no death, and there's no suffering. Wow. See, we have absolutely no understanding of what life is without sin. We just don't know. Because it, it pervades us. It, it's our part of our fallen world, a part of this, this nature that we have. We will be there. There's no sin and there's no suffering. Romans 6, 7 says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. The one who's died has been set free from sin. And when we die, we step into heaven, we are set free from sin. So that just got me thinking about it. Just think about this, all right? You listen to this. There'll be no sin, no selfishness, no lying, no dishonesty, no name calling, no bullying, no narcissism, no prideful behavior. That translates into no social media. Hey, <laughs> praise God for that. Uh, but there's not going to be anything that's going to be sinful. And so there's no sin, there's no death, there's no suffering. Number four, we will maintain our uniqueness. We will maintain our uniqueness. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. The last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 6. So either open up your uh, Bible or your Holy Mobile and take a look at Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 gives us a glimpse into the present heaven. This is what's going on. This is talking about what is happening right now. In Revelation chapter 6 verse 9 it says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those, and the word souls can mean the whole person, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are martyrs of the faith. These are people who had died for the faith. And he says, and they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge your blood on those who dwell on the earth. What they're saying is we are calling out for justice. We stood for Christ, we were persecuted and we were killed. When will justice come? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, let me just 
I'll get you three points right out of this passage. Number one, we maintain our uniqueness. You maintain your uniqueness. The reason you know you maintain your uniqueness is there's a direct continuity between our identity on earth and our identity in heaven. These martyrs, their personal identity on earth is that they died for their faith. They carried that identity into heaven. And when they stood there, they said, we have been martyred for our faith. So they had a memory of what their life was like. They had a memory of how they died. And so they had their own uniqueness. Everybody didn't stand up there and say, yeah, I was a martyr. No, it was these who were martyred, these who died for the faith. And so when you go to the present heaven, you will not be a different person. You will be the same person that you are here with the bad stuff taken out, and you've just been relocated from earth to heaven. You're going to maintain your uniqueness. We're not going to be little robots that everybody looks alike and acts alike and says, bless your little heart, everywhere we go. We're going to be unique. We maintain uh, our uniqueness. Number five is this. Now, this is a new one for me. I've researched this, and this kind of jumped out, and I kind of fought it, but I think it's true. We will be aware of what is happening on earth. Man, I'd always, been, I'd always thought that once you got to heaven, you never knew what was going on on earth. But when you begin to read in the, in the Scripture, you can see that there is a knowledge of what's happening on earth. In verse 10, they say, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you'll judge and avenge our blood for those who dwell on the earth? They know that that's not taking place yet. You see, these martyrs know that their blood has not been avenged. And so they understand that things are going on on earth and that God's judgment has not come. If you turn over to Revelation chapter 18, Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18, and look at verse 20. This is talking about the fall of Babylon. And when it talks about the fall of Babylon, there's been judgment that's been made. In verse 20, it says here, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Rejoice in heaven. I'm telling you folks, in heaven, you need to rejoice. Guess what? They just sent a memo to heaven and said, Babylon has fallen. They understand what's going on on earth. They said, you need to rejoice. Look at verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her blood of his servants. And so when that judgment took place, the people in heaven knew about it and they rejoiced on it. And then there's that verse that we hear a lot whenever someone makes a decision for Christ. We talk about how people rejoice in heaven. Look what it says in, in Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke 15, 10 says, In the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. And we always use this verse that when someone makes a decision to receive Christ as Savior, and I have been guilty of this, we, I've misquoted this verse and said, When someone makes a decision for Christ, even the angels in heaven rejoice. Well, the angels are rejoicing, but if you look closer, it doesn't say that. It says there is joy in the presence of God's angels. There's joy in the presence of God's angels, which means the redeemed saints are in the presence of God's angels. They would be rejoicing also, which means that think we know what's going on on earth. So when you've got a grandparent that's been there 
and is hoping and praying that their child would receive Christ as Savior, that when their child receives Christ as Savior, they know it in heaven and they're rejoicing, rejoicing with the angels. Plus, if you took it and just thought it was just God's angels, why would God only let them rejoice on that? But it says in the presence of God's angels. So, while I'm not sure how much awareness we have on, on, on things on earth, I know that there needs to be, there is some kind of awareness just from what you picked up from Scripture. But then there's always that comeback of saying, well, if there's sad things that happen on earth, there's not supposed to be sadness or sorrow in heaven. One of the big differences is that we have a whole new perspective when we get to heaven. We'll be worshiping God. We'll be learning from God. And we take on a heavenly perspective. And so when there are things that may be happening here on earth, we can see it from God's perspective. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. All right. Number six is this. We will not be all-knowing, but we'll continuously learn we will not be all-knowing, but we'll continuously learn. You know, it's funny. Sometimes we think that when we get to heaven, we'll know everything. They say, oh, I'll know everything when I get there. Everything will be known fully. I'll know as much as God knows. Really? You know, if you knew as much as God knows, then you would be God. We will never know as much as God knows. And what God will do is he will be continually disclosing more about himself. And we can spend all eternity trying to learn about him and worshiping him and seeing his goodness and his mercy and his holiness. In verse 11, if you go back to Revelation chapter 6, when they said, how long will it be before you judge them? He says, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. God did some teaching and he told them, folks, it's not time yet. There's still believers who will be martyred. And when the last martyr is complete, then Christ is coming back. Don't know when that is. But he is teaching them and they are learning. They don't know everything. And that's the way it's going to be for us, which that is exciting. There's nothing more boring to not be stretched or not to learn or to gain more knowledge. And this is exactly what will happen. We will gain more knowledge. Plus, I thought in verse 11, it was interesting that he said, I'm going to give you a white robe. If you were a disembodied spirit, why do you need a robe? Just thinking. Okay. Um, number, uh, Number seven, we will know others in heaven. Good news and bad news. No, we will know others in heaven. That means we will know other people in heaven. So it's not like that, uh, you know, we're going to maintain our unique identity and we'll know folks in heaven. The Luke 16, 23 story, even down there in Hades, Abraham looked up and, I mean, excuse me, the rich man looked up and he saw Lazarus and he knew who he was. When Jesus came back and he sat down with his disciples in John chapter 20, it says, and they knew who he was. They didn't have to ask. They didn't have to wonder. They knew who he was. And and so that is a great uh, comfort to us to know that we step out of this world, we step into eternity. Those who've gone before us, we will know them and they will know us. So we will know others in heaven. And number eight, anytime you talk about heaven, this is the number one answer that everyone wants to know. And that is there will be animals in heaven. I just feel confident there'll be animals. No cats, but there will be animals. uh, (laughs) in uh, in heaven, okay? 
But you say, well, how do you know? Well, the book of Revelation talks about their horses. I mean, there was a horse, uh, a fire and a chariot of fire that picked up Elijah and took him up to heaven. Uh, then in 19, it talks about how they're getting on the horses, getting ready for come down for the uh, big battle of Armageddon. And so, so there are horses in there. And then my favorite verse is um, uh, 813. And it says, then I looked and I heard an eagle uh, crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. So there will be eagles in heaven. No mention of elephants, but there are, but there are eagles on there. All right. Remember Logan said, don't give your opinion. Just preach what God's word says. And I'm just preaching what God's word says. So sticking with it. All right. Um, Okay, but there'll probably be some coon dogs in there from Tennessee, so that'll be good. All right, the, look at this. Number nine, the tree of life will be there. The tree of life will be there. You say, what is it? Now, now Randy Alcorn, in his book on heaven, he started talking about this. And so, folks, I'm just, I'm just going to step out with you on this one, and this kind of makes some sense, Okay. Definitely we know the tree of life is going to be there. Let me give you a history of the tree of life. If you could look at Genesis chapter 2, right? This is just a thought. Genesis chapter 2. Turn all the way back to the first, first book of the Bible. And see, when you go home and somebody says, what did the preacher preach on? He said, man, he went from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, he got it all. Genesis chapter 2. This is a creation of, 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 uh, of man and woman. And he put them in the Garden of Eden. And look what it says here uh, in verse 8. It says, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for fruit, for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. Now, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was sin that entered the world and their eyes were open to it, they had to take them away from the tree of life because it was eternal life. And if they had eaten that, then they would have lived in their sins forever. And so what God did was he banished them out of the garden. And you come to the end of chapter 3, uh, it says that he drove the man out of the east of the garden and he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, Eden, the garden of Eden was never destroyed. He just said he put someone there to guard it. Well, if you go a little bit further to uh, Luke 23, 43, you don't need to turn that. It's the passage we've already talked about. Jesus, with the thief on the cross, says, today you'll be with me in paradise. All right. Now, I want you to turn to Revelation 2, 7. Revelation 2, 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. We got the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. Jesus says to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. You come to Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, and he's talking to the church in Ephesus. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's in the paradise of God. So the tree of life is in paradise. It's in heaven. It's in the, the present heaven. And then if you go to the end of Revelation chapter 22, If you go to the second verse, he's describing this new Jerusalem, and he says that through the middle of the street, 
of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. So the tree of life that was there in the Garden of Eden is there in present heaven and will be there in new heaven, new earth. So let me just connect these dots and this could be a possibility. So maybe the Garden of Eden is there in present heaven. If the tree of life is there, then maybe when we die and we move into the present heaven, we're trying to get a picture of where everything's going to look like. Maybe God's got his place there in the Garden of Eden. Maybe it's going to be a part of that. Because when he created, he created it to be a perfect place for man to dwell. So maybe that could be it. That's why I said that the tree of life will be there. But last of all, and most important, is praising God constantly with great joy. Praising God constantly with great joy. The centerpiece of heaven is Jesus because he died for our sins. And when we get to heaven, we want to worship him. Praises to God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we get an opportunity to worship. Not a ritualistic singing, but just a spontaneous time of worship. And look what it says in Revelation 5, verse 11 through 13. He says, then I looked around, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain, it's Jesus, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We will be worshiping and praising his name forever. I remember I mentioned this to you um, last week as we were closing out the service, and I had said that um, we will be having these worship times all the time, and, and uh, we'll be singing. And then Michael made the comment where he said that he knows for sure he'll have a job in heaven because they don't say there's any jobs for preachers. And um, man, I took that all week, and it was just kind of eating at my soul. And then, then all of a sudden, I kind of looked up and I said, you know, it'll be the first time in 35 years I get the weekends off. <laughs> Not a bad deal. Kind of like that. But, um, but this, is what, this, is what we will, this is what we will be doing. Now, I'm going to throw in another caveat. Let's see. Uh, this this is, falls under opinion. Just want to let you know. This is opinion over here. But just think about it. Just, just think about this. All right. Everybody keeps telling you there's not going to be any preaching in heaven. Don't need to be preaching in heaven. Everybody's saved. Okay. Now, just think about this. The Bible says that two things will last forever. Do you remember what it says? Two things will last forever. What is that? The souls of men and and the Word of God. The souls of men and the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is God-breathed. This is God's Word to us. And it says that the Word of God will last into eternity. Now, when we get to heaven, there will be levels of spiritual maturity. This would only make sense. Somebody who served God all his years and lives to be 90 years old versus someone who has a deathbed confession are going to have a whole different stature there in heaven. Now, they're both in the presence of God and it's still wonderful, but someone's going to have a greater spiritual maturity than, than another. And we're going to be continuously learning about God. How's that continual learning to take place? See, what I'm thinking is that I think that God will use some of those great saints of the past, 
to communicate to us. Would you not like to sit under Spurgeon and just listen to him open up God's word and teach it to you? Would you not want to to see the things, talk about the Old Testament stories or the New Testament things about Jesus? Could, Could someone just teach some of what God's word said under Paul, Senator Adrian Rogers? I mean, just think about some of these great people who've been great Bible teachers. And if we're going to be at different levels of spiritual maturity, how are these folks going to get more mature Maybe God is setting aside some mature believers. And and as they begin to understand more of who God is, they're able to communicate that to others to kind of bring them up on that spiritual journey. Just a thought. Just a thought. But it's a good thought, all right? Just so I want to let you know. Just, Just thinking. Okay. So how do we, what do we do with this? We know all of this. We feel good about present heaven. This is how I want to close the message. And that is take the next step towards heaven. What do you do taking your next step towards heaven? Number one, secure your destination. Secure your destination. What that means is make a decision today to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. You need to secure your destination. Everybody's not going to heaven. All roads don't lead to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That is the one way to get to heaven. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Praise be to the God and Father for our Lord Jesus Christ, because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the hope that we have. Because Christ has risen from the dead, if we receive that, guess what happens? And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. We have this incredible inheritance in heaven that's kept for us if we make that decision for Christ. So I would say secure your destination and make that decision, receive Christ into your heart. But last of all is prepare for your destination. Prepare. What we are here on earth is we're preparing for heaven. In Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. When does eternal life begin? Does anybody know? Starts right now, doesn't it? Right here on earth. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It, It starts right now. And so the spiritual life that begins at conversion will continue into heaven. And so the very same person you've become during your earthly life is who you will be in heaven. Physical death does not transform you from some spiritually immature child into some full-grown spiritual adult. There are differences in spiritual maturity here and there are differences in spiritual maturity there. We're all children of God, but not of the same spiritual stature. So why don't we work to prepare for heaven. I want to be as prepared for heaven as can be. I want to be to the point to when they said when there are awards handed out and they talk about to get crowns in heaven and take that opportunity to come before Christ and give him those crowns, I want to be there. I want to try to be as prepared for heaven as I can be, knowing that I won't know just a thimble of all there is with God, but I want to know as much as I can. And so begin to prepare for your home eternal home by shifting your focus toward living a life that honors God and leads others to him. C.S. Lewis says it well when he says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. Sometimes people say, don't think so much about heaven. You become so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, I think that when you really do focus on heaven, and you think about how incredible it is, how great it is, then it means that I want to take a lot of people with me on there. And it means that I want to prepare my life so when I get up there, I can get the well done, good and faithful servant. 
because Jesus has paid everything for me. I want to live for him, and I want to be able to step into eternity, and I want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant, and I want to bring others with me, as many as I can, okay? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse of heaven. And Lord, we recognize that heaven means nothing unless you had sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And we thank you for that gift of your son, and we love him, and we love you. He talked about in the passage in 1 Timothy about the mercy, and you had this amazing mercy that you poured out on us, and you gave us this great grace gift. I pray each one of us, as we've heard this, that you would challenge us to make sure that we've secured our destination to heaven. And Lord, I pray that it would be you that would speak to the hearts of people here. Lord, there's nothing that we can do. We can't force someone to make a decision. We can't force someone to receive your son. We can't force that love on them. But Lord, I know your spirit can speak to their heart and draw them to yourself. And I pray that's happening right now. And that those that do not know you, that this day, before this day ends, before this service ends, that they would ask you to come into their life and begin an amazing relationship with you that will be so fulfilling on earth and that will end with a step into heaven and into your presence for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.